0: Every one of these episodes is packed with timeless ideas you can apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Dave Lush, the CTO at Mindgym. Mindgym translates behavioral science principles into a unique set of experiences, products, and tools that slip into people's day. We sit down for the second time for a more detailed Q&A. We cover exploring skills gaps, imposter syndrome, burnout, stress, personal growth, parenting and accountability. We touch on a wide range of topics. It's Dave's no-nonsense clarity that I love so much and that makes this second conversation more refreshing than ever. What's the biggest trap that you see people falling into in the early days of their career?
1: I don't know if you how you pronounce it. You know, is it Is Kruger effect or something like that? You know, it's the thing where mm. um, you lack the skills to recognise that you're not necessarily competent in something. So then you you get out there, you get looking for a job, you're, and you're looking for like your early first early tech job as well. Um, and you probably latch on to the first opportunity that you get an offer on, um, and maybe sort of jump in there too soon don't recognize what and this is a dying crew of it is you don't have the skills to recognize what a good team and a good opportunity looks like um and you can only accumulate those skills as you get more experience um and even now 42 you know i struggle with it a bit sometimes Of like is that really the right opportunity so i think i've had a little bit of luck combined with um, like a growing amount of experience and insight um i think the trap so that's that's not a trap you know that's just a decision-making ability i think the trap is if you then stay somewhere and it's not the right choice for you um you know and i guess then it's recognizing um what the smells are that something's not the right opportunity for you to carry on with um and i don't really have too much insight on that because there's so many different smells
0: people worry about the sunk the sunk cost don't they and the uh,
1: yeah yeah, yeah
0: that's like the things. amount that they put into something that they don't want to yeah they don't want to lose the amount that they've learned.
1: You know, it's not it's not a million miles off. Um, just being in a relationship as well, and there's almost that weighing scales of is are the positive things outweighing the negative? It's probably not a bad heuristic to use even early on.
0: It's an interesting thought that you raise that because I think that um, there's a really really close relationship between uh love and work uh if you go back to the renaissance we before then didn't get married for love we got married for the sake of just being with someone else um and and creating a child and having security in the same way that you didn't have a job in order to find fulfillment you got a job in order to just get you by um and the 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 two have kind of come together in some way it's, it's and the the, the problems are, are the same
1: yes and yeah you're right that's that's something that's shifted like i feel lucky that i have a, a job and a career that i love um and yeah and you sort of wish that same thing for your kids as well um and I've, i suspect that many people working especially down like a technical route and an engineering route are hopefully doing it because it's something that they, that they love you know, and we've maybe got the sort of geeky vibe that's carried on with them through the line. I've had many jobs that I didn't love. I've done roofing, I've done door-to-door sales, I've worked in warehouses and factories, I've been a removals man. I'm um, con- oh, in quite a compressed time scale really early on, um, which I think gives me a better appreciation now of how much I do love my job as it is.
0: Does it help you in your relationships too?
1: Um, in my work relationships, absolutely, yeah. Because I guess you, um, you have... Or rather, I have. So I've worked in hospitality as well. So I know what it's like to be on the sharp end. I've done, um, I've done maybe jobs that have been unfulfilling as well. Yeah, it gives you, it gives you the skills to sort of deal with a broader set of people, even if it was quite early on in my life. Did
0: you ever experience imposter syndrome early on in your career, uh, or later on? And if so, how did you, how did you deal with it?
1: Every time that I change job, and every time that a new responsibility gets put to me in, in a current job. And whenever I come into contact with a new group of people in my current job, so yes, it's a um, I, I've, I think I've, I've, I'm finding it easier and easier to overcome as I go through my career. Um, and I, even coming into this um, this CCR role that I'm in now, massive imposter syndrome when I first started, um, because you're in a different company and it's a different. Um, shape of company to a different domain you're in you've got new responsibilities you're working with new people and I guess there's that feeling of um the things that we did before were they really as good as I think they were um or am I deluded and I'm about to find out you know as I start working with new of people how do you um how do you overcome that imposter syndrome and and it's I guess um challenging the reasons for why you've got that imposter syndrome yeah, and, and, and um, try and not use business bingo language, like facing into it and leaning into it. But you, do, you know what I mean as well, like facing up to the fact that, okay, this is the thing that I'm worried about. I'm going to go tackle it and then try and get rid of the thing that I'm afraid of rather than letting it fester and sort of hiding away from it. Um, so, for example, in my current role, um, the, the early imposter syndrome was around, um, like new relationships and in new parts of the business I'd not needed to worry about a huge amount before. So it's like, okay, I'm going to come. And... In fact, actually what I did as I joined, um, very few people knew that I was joining the company. So we we're going through quite a, um, a period of transition. Um, so I went through the org chart underneath the chief exec and just went and put in half an hour with all the people that reported into the chief exec. Um, because that's the bit that was scariest for me. So, okay, I'm going to come and talk to you all first and ask you the same few questions.
0: So you proactively just put yourself in the line of fire in order to get rid of the imposter syndrome. You'd argue that maybe you do the opposite and yeah. try and get away from it.
1: And uh, it's only something I've started doing in the past, say, five years. It's not something that I would have done early in my career. Um, but if you see someone do it, it who's early in the career, it really makes them stand out.
0: I guess there's another part of imposter syndrome where we've, we've someone said this the other day it was amazing it's like um uh i'm using my insides to look at your outsides as if you're you know all of your vulnerabilities and all the bad things but when you look at something else it's just so much greener um
1: is there a way of getting over that can i just check that i understand as well um I guess by you, it's all, if you have you ever thing like you you view what you do subjectively and other things that other people do objectively? Is it similar in that you know I understand my own motivations, and therefore I'm looking at my insides. But I, all I see is your behaviour.
0: Yeah, but it's almost like in I think roughly yeah, in your sphere you see all of the shit stuff, and all of the good stuff. Whereas when you look at someone else's sphere, you only ever see the good stuff.
1: Right okay, yeah, when I and especially if you're traversing um skill sets and stuff as well, yeah, so if I look into a product team, for example, which is not my specialism, um all I see is the the confidence and the behavior, yeah, sorry, and then what was the question again now I understand fully.
0: how, the, what the fuck do you do when you're going into a new company for the first time and you're like, what practical things could you do in that moment, like the way that you book the calls with the uh... The c level stuff, which is a brilliant idea. Are there any other ways that you could just snap that imposter syndrome out of you in the early days to try and give yourself?
1: What you're not going to do is you're not going to magically. It's not like the Matrix, and I can plug in a tablet, like, you know, and and suddenly I know all about programming and I've developed ten to fifteen years' experience. So in reality, what you then need to do is grow your um, your comfort and your confidence, and I think it's uh, and recognizing what you value as well. Um, so you know, I guess we were talking about values last time we spoke actually as well. You know, and in myself recognizing that I hold integrity highly and work ethic, et cetera. Um, and just working in a way that sits with your values, um, and and being yourself, um, and watching for the feedback coming back and listening to it and and learning from it, and I guess picking out who who you really value that feedback from and which you're going to act most strongly on.
0: Almost as if you've got a bit of a sieve in your mind where you're taking in bits of information that you want but not the other stuff.
1: And gradually learning to be comfortable in your own skin as well, which is not just about work imposter syndrome. I don't think it's something that um, some lucky people are just born with, which I'm not one of them. Um, and you yeah. know, some of us we need to sort of develop over years and some people just never get to it either. Have
0: you ever seen people start off their career not comfortable in their own skin, but by their, as, as their pro- career progresses, they've, they're feeling more more comfortable.
1: Yeah. Um, this, so there's a, there's a person that I can think of that I'm working with now that uh, I'm not going to name him, but you know who you are. Uh, we've been working together for about four or five years and he um, he gets quite significant imposter syndrome, uh, but he's learned, he is extremely effective despite it. Um, and you can tell that he's got it going on as well otherwise I sort of wouldn't mention it and wouldn't raise it but even in those um, four or five years that we've been working together um, he has I guess he's learned to tackle and break down the barriers that he's like okay I'm not worried about this thing anymore and I'm not worried about that one Um, so there's still concern there and niggling like am I good enough but he's um, he's his bubble has expanded through that, even through that period of time. And it's expanded quite a lot in that period of time.
0: When does your own personal growth border on self-sabotage? And has that happened to you? Do you know,
1: yeah, do you know what? I don't think I've ever bumped into that. I th- I think I see, I've see i seen other people bump into it, though. I can see a couple of potential examples. Um, one's maybe not about personal growth. I think, you know, where you see people that are focused on career growth and see career growth as personal growth. You know, so climbing the corporate ladder, salary progression, etc. And that can because you've you focused on um the next job title or salary progression, instead of just doing the right thing and enjoying yourself. I can I've seen that definitely backfire in terms of um people who have either not got what we've wanted or they've got what we've wanted and realize it doesn't maybe fulfil them. Um a separate avenue is people burning out basically, um, you know, just from um, like that, that appetite to learn, working really hard, keeping going, but just never stopping, you know, never taking a break um, and then uh, burning out too soon. Do, do you have other examples in mind when you think of that, when you ask that question, rather,
0: No, not particularly, no. Um, There's a really interesting distinction between career growth and personal growth. How do you know when you're optimising for your career growth versus your personal growth? Because it must be difficult to tell in that moment if you're an individual, because the two things must blend into one a bit.
1: I guess it's worth thinking about how I equate the two. Because um, I'm equating career growth to job title, responsibility, you know, that, that graph of um, control and influence bubbles. Um, I can't remember what book that's out, but you probably know what I mean. Um, and salary progression and package and everything else, and maybe the, the brands that you're working for. Um, personal growth is about skill set, knowledge, um, like your your personal skills and do you know interestingly, I'd put reputation and like you know, the relationships you hold with people, I'd put that in personal growth, but it does support your career growth as well. And I guess that depends on your motivations as to I say I view it as personal growth because I'm just caring about treating other people as humans and and working well with them, but I can see how it supports my career growth as well i'm sorry it was a question how do you distinguish how do you distinguish between the two
0: yeah how do you if you are in that situation know whether you're optimizing for the wrong one
1: it's interesting because so the personal growth side of things as an engineer often is i'm learning about new technologies i'm learning new techniques i'm learning to work better as part of a team um there that all supports your career growth. You know, that's the thing that when you move on to the next role, sets you up for, for interviewing and being a compelling candidate. Um, where I think that, you know, it's hard to see how that might backfire, you know, because it's, it's all good stuff. You know, you're working towards things that fulfil you and set you up for the future. Where I think that could progress, is, sorry, where that could fall over is if you don't recognise that you spent too long in the same company, um, and you just carry on plugging away, doing the same things, learning new skills, but not breaking out of like that local minimum of, you know, there's a there's a limit to how much I can grow as an individual in this, in this company. You've probably heard the quotes as well of like the, the best people outgrow companies quicker um, than sort of like the less capable people. Um but I'm saying all of that, and I spent nine years in the same company, and I think I carried on growing personally and career in there. I think we talked about it last time as well. I probably would have progressed quicker in my personal skill set had I moved on a little bit sooner. You know, I think probably five years might have been a good boundary for that.
0: You called it a uh, a local minimum. Yeah, that's a great great phrase. How do you go about understanding? that local minimum and whether it's giving you what it should be
1: um so the, the reason why i mentioned that phrase is is it's stuck with me for 20 odd years since i did my degree you know from like robotics and pathfinding and things like that sorry and heuristics as well rather and you know you um you do something that spikes um away from the local minimum and almost can i find can i get past the local peaks you know can i find if i look in another area do i find something that's a better solution? If you apply that to um, to, to uh, personal and career growth, that means really looking at the market outside and understanding uh, what's going on. But I don't want to recommend that in case the engineers in my team listen to this because I don't want any of them to leave because I love them all. I love you all. Um, so, yeah, definitely don't do that. <laughs> um, So, a slightly more serious answer as well is I guess don't exist purely in the echo chamber of the company that you work for. Um, You know, so being there, reading articles, understanding how other people are thinking, um, and actually recognize um, you've probably come across ThoughtWorks Tech Radar before. Um, So, and for anyone that's not come across it, actually, so there are um, four quadrants around um, frameworks. Techniques, languages, platforms. I think, Um, and then four different gradings for adopt this, um, all the way through to hold this. Um, I've found that that's been a really good tool through the years as well to recognise. So we've landed on this internally as a team, you know, where we've evolved into this practice, or we've evolved into this new technique. So it's been really helpful to be able to look out and get feedback from someone else without asking. Well, actually is recommended out there in the industry as well. Um, so you're feeling like actually we've arrived on a good solution. That's been great. Um, and I guess that's recognising that we're not stuck in a local minimum. We've got confirmation that that's the direction the industry is going in. It's almost
0: the job of the CTO to keep on expanding the local minimum.
1: Yes. Yep. 100% agree. I am um, gonna. I feel like I'm, I'm going to be boring now because I've said this a lot to our team in the past two weeks. So if anyone listens in, I apologise, but then for the other people that listen, this will be new. Um, so we, um, I guess, we're coming to the end of our financial year. It ends at the end of March. I've recognised that we've we've we're at a scale that I I don't really I'm not I can't work with everyone day in day So we're not massive. We've got a tech team of about forty people. Um, so I've gone, I think, I was, actually, I told you about this last time. So I am being boring. Um, so I've gone around and I've done 30-minute conversations with um, everyone on the team, asking about what we're doing well, what we're not doing well, what we could do better. Um, since we last spoke, I've managed to tag all the, um, the data. Uh, I've written it up. I've done an internal report and sort of shared some of the themes um, with, um, with the rest of the tech team, with our product team, with leadership, et cetera. Um, So we're ready to start acting on it. Yeah, so in in my role, I'm I'm recognising that if we carry on as we are, we we potentially not stagnate, but you just carry on at the same level. By reflecting on where we are and and gathering suggestions from people in the team, um, we can look at what do we do next to progress. And we've only just been me that sits there in the middle in an ivory tower and goes, yes, we shall do that.
0: What does burnout look like to you?
1: I guess you're saying, how do you recognise burning?
0: Yeah, and and also, what what does it look like? Because I think a lot of people don't know that they're experiencing it or um, can't spot it in other people. Yeah,
1: it's quite a big topic. Yeah, I don't think we did talk about this because it's quite a big topic as well, right? Um, and I guess it's it's understanding the physiology of um, you know the, the sort of what leads to chronic stress and the fact that you're you're not switching off and you you just keep going. Or even if you feel like I've stopped work for the day, it's still so um so demanding that you're waking up thinking about it in the middle of the night. Um so I guess the the warning signs for me in the past are um genuinely that so waking up in the middle of the night and and it might not be that what works woke me up, but it could be that you know my wife fidgeted in bed and woke me up. And the first thing that happens is I start thinking about work, and that's it, I'm doomed. I can't get back to sleep for another two hours. Um, but then I guess that's like an extreme example of where it's like okay I've gone way too far and the there's a path that leads towards burnout as well where I'm finding myself working slightly longer hours and it doesn't necessarily need to be that the company's sort of pushing me to do it either as well it could be that I'm just I'm enjoying what I'm doing so much that I'm pushing hard at it Um, and I'm accidentally just doing that little bit too much and not stopping and taking a break um, I think personally I recognise it in myself if I get grouchy as well you know and I find that I lack patience for the people around me especially when if I find I lack patience for my family and friends because um, it's easy to be pa- patient with people at work quite often and it's been also easy to be sort of slightly less lazy and controlling your emotions with those closest to you yeah they're like the main ones. What I've not touched on is the really extreme examples of breaking, uh, sorry, burning. I think it's quite it's quite obvious then as well. Um,
0: yeah.
1: I think if I find myself getting overly frustrated with things whilst I'm in a work environment as well, is like a warning sign.
0: Sounds like it's more likely to come from a lack of passion or a lack of, fun and motivation than it is to come from an overdose of hard work
1: i guess i may be describing what's led to burnout in me and for, for me it's led to an overdose of hard. for it's come from an overdose of hard mental work quite often and, and sustaining it for because i think it's it's not unhealthy to sustain it for a month and to go you know go for a burst and i'm going to really go for it but he's recognizing when to back off and then recover recuperate and then go again um you're right as well. Where I've seen it in other people, it can come from um, like not feeling supported and that you've got the right sort of systems and structures around you. Um, it can come from, I think we talked last time about if the values of uh, the team around you or the company around you don't align with your own personal values, it just sort of it creates that incongruity that it's just going to niggle away day by day until it does, uh, does make you fizzle in Think, mm-hmm. Yeah, if you feel like you're just fighting a never-ending battle, then I guess that feeling that I can't stop because otherwise if I get off the treadmill, I'll never catch up again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you mentioned the lack of passion and something else.
0: It was the lack of – well, it was the, it's almost like is burnout the – either a – does it come from a lack of passion an enjoyment, maybe, I said, I think. It was just basically the same word, just repeated. Yeah. Um, and
1: so actually, yeah, so just to, because I, I waffled on then I didn't actually respond to that. So I think um, a, a passion and um, enjoyment of a subject gives you, like, an intrinsic motivation to, to really sort of excel in it. And I think that that can make you last longer before you burn out, it, but it's never going to completely stop it. Could make you last. Right, year. got it. Could make it you last years longer. Um, there was a there was another. Yeah. He was a head of QA in a in a previous role about seven years ago, um, and I I was thinking about this the other day. Actually, I've always been the same. Of I will go out and grab after the different issues around there and try and just sort of help fix them. And I remember him saying to me um, something about like if if you if a candle burns too bright, you burn yourself out quicker. And it's the same sort of thing as well, literally burn out as well, um, because the candle's gone out. Um, and I was thinking about it the other day because I was thinking, I'm still going, you know. Uh, the, so And the passion of the, um, for the things that you're working towards is what keeps you going and keeps you fueled quite well, I think. But then definitely recognising how to ebb and flow, uh, especially as you get past 40.
0: As we've gone through our conversations, you strike me as the type of person who, like, uh, proactively seeks out that accountability and responsibility. So, how has the stress that that's brought on either curtailed or accelerated your career?
1: um I think it's definitely accelerated my career. Um, it, interestingly, as well, it started. I or rather I recognised it starting quite early on, in that if I see something that I think's not working quite right, even if it's outside of my area, I struggle to keep quiet. know, and I'll I'll speak up about it and and maybe offer a suggestion, even if it's well outside my realm, of maybe this is what we could do. And it sort of pulled me into those leadership and management-type positions. Um, So it's definitely accelerated, and then I think in the past five to ten years, um, I've recognised that that, um, it helps add additional responsibilities to what I do and like extra interesting challenges as well because it can bring up things that are completely uh, completely different to anything I've done before um, and then if anything in the past few years it's been a, it's needed to be a recognition of don't take on too much and take on the wrong shape of things because you either not have the skills to do it successfully and maybe won't be able to learn them quick enough to do something successfully um, or you just find yourself swamped under too many different things at a time. So then it's become about recognising uh, what are the right opportunities to go and grab hold of and the right accountabilities to grab hold of um, that are going to benefit the business or the team.
0: And crucially, it's the it's the right accountabilities and responsibilities that benefit the business or the team, not yourself.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and there's, there's, don't get me wrong, I am selfish. There's an element of, and is it interesting? Um, but it's definitely overridden by... Um, yeah because you you paid you know you've been paid to do a service for a business um and it's about delivering that service. I think last time we spoke as well, I said that I will therefore do do a decent job of the things that I don't enjoy um, and then really throw yourself into the things that you properly enjoy. How has
0: stress itself curtailed or accelerated your career?
1: I think it's tempered it um, I I've definitely suffered from periods of sort of quite acute stress at times Um, and it's always been down to my own behaviours, you know, so it's always been because I've either pushed too hard and I've not recognised. And I think the embracing of it has probably helped accelerate my career at times, you know, because you've genuinely pushed after um, achieving something. Uh, but it's also given me the most enjoyable periods of my working life as well, especially like some crunch projects earlier on when, you know, you're around 30 years old, really loved it. And it's been some of the sort of best team experiences that I've had. Um, and then as, as I've got um, older and, and moved into like managing people as well, Having gone through those experiences has given me like a better toolkit to recognise it in the people in my team um, and to be able to recognise their where their stress is coming from and help them work through it and resolve it um, and just do the right things for them. And also then helps around uh, retention, attrition, et cetera, because you're just sort of helping solve things for people. Um, yeah, I still find myself embracing it a little bit as well now, though. You know, and, and just enjoying the the exhilaration of pushing hard after something, but it's just doing it in sh- shorter and shorter bursts.
0: It's super difficult to balance, isn't it? Because I what was at Jordan Peter, he says, kind of pick the biggest responsibility you can possibly put on your shoulders and, and hold it. And, and that is... That is that is what we should be looking for. We should not be searching for happiness. We should be searching for the biggest amount of accountability we can hold on the back of our shoulders, because ultimately, over a longer period of time, that will find us some sort of fulfilment. It's almost as if fulfilment cannot come if the work that you do isn't inherently, in some form, hard and stressful. Yeah.
1: So who said that? just quoted someone?
0: Uh, Jordan Peterson. It's like, does uh, rules for, for for 12 rules for life or something like that? It's good.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. So I've seen little bits by him. Okay, I'll have a read of that later. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, and it makes, that absolutely makes sense. Yeah, and it's still like, the, the deeper fulfillment comes through that type of route and that path.
0: Yeah. So, my, so my, my granddad said one time, and I'll misquote this, but it was something like, hard work is the mortar that binds. Achievement and fulfillment. It's mm. so true. Like without it, we're kind of bricks just stacked on top of each other, and our achievements don't mean anything of value to us. They only stick because we've given a part of ourselves to each one of those projects in some way. Yep,
1: can completely see that. Um, it definitely took me until my mid twenties to even start recognizing that as well. To be honest,
0: it's hard because there's, on the one hand, like burnout's a massive issue that we need to keep an eye on, but on the other hand trying to wrap everyone in cotton wool also won't work because we then won't we won't have the chance to go after the things that we want to and create that fulfillment
1: yeah yeah and now i'm and waffling. very similar as well to like if you know you wrap your kids in cotton wool they they won't be equipped to um to solve their own challenges basically so i'm not comparing my direct reports to kids they're definitely not <laughs>
0: Uh, that's a really good point though like what are there any direct comparisons between the decisions that you've made in your working life and your working career and the and the lessons that you've learned from that and how you how you parent
1: (laughs) um i I think it's um it's definitely it's been a one-way street that yeah there's things i've learned from work that i've applied to parenting um rather, rather than vice versa. Um, so I I really value transparency, um, you know, at work and and explaining how how I've got to where I've got to um, and why why I think something's really important. Just because at work it gives people chance to sort of pick you apart and, and potentially change your mind and drive you in a different direction. Um, and I definitely find that with my with my little boy, it works really well. Again, he's eight years old um, and he's he's quite. Um, logical, and, and will correct me as well and point me back in a different direction sometimes. And it means we can talk about things. Uh, with my teenage stepdaughter, definitely don't work. She doesn't want any kind of feedback from me whatsoever. It just leads to tension.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to ask you any other questions Father. that. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go down
1: a rabbit hole. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think of any other, any other sort of skills that I've learned from it, as well, or any other... Things that I find myself
0: applying.
1: Yeah. Um, actually, do you know what? Motivate, motivation as well. You know, and understanding motivation uh, definitely helps with the kids quite a lot. Um, you know, and the thing of if I extrinsically motivate you and give you give you six pounds for helping refelt your um, your uncle's shed roof, that's gonna that's gonna help motivate you a little bit, and you might help again next time. But what you really is going to motivate you to help me next time is that you've enjoyed it and you found it fulfilling and um, you had some accountability for nailing down that part of the film.
0: Do you think that these working lessons are applicable outside of startups?
1: Yep, 100%. And now I need to justify. So that's my gut that's responding and saying, yes, 100% apply. Um, And then I need to back it up a little bit. The biggest difference i see between startups and sort of big corporates is the like the risk appetite and the the amount of control that a large corporate needs to put around sort of the structures of the people that work for it um you still effectively you know still at the end of the day working with other humans you know you've got the same sort of um social dynamics going on um you you potentially still working on new products new investments Um, dealing with similar levels of uncertainty. Um, And and your your internals are probably no different whether you're in one environment or the other. So if you're suffering from imposter syndrome, it might even be bigger in one of the big corporates because you're working in this this recognisable brand name um, and assume that everything's done brilliantly. Um, And it's probably not because there's there's those controls that are slowing down uh, the speed of change with the organisation. Um, I think the, the bit, one of the bigger differences is that in a in a startup you're probably going to get more diverse and faster paced experience, but you're also going to get less support structures around you. So, so same things are um, maybe slowing down the, the pace of change in a bigger company. Um, also, the things that bring in like L and D training courses, you know, enough slack in the system that you can spend on um, learning away from the pressure of delivery. If you're in a startup, it's just going to be pressure delivery quite often, and about shipping the next set of features.
0: And then, lastly, can I can we talk, touch upon perhaps like technology? Because I'm really conscious that we've spent a bit of time going through the how to make decisions um, at, at a higher level. If you're working in technology and then working in a startup, there's also parts of it where uh, it's almost like it's hard enough to work out what you. Uh, what like roughly what type of company you want to work in one of the things that's so challenging in technology is everything is changing so much how do you self-reflect most uh, all of the time to know which technologies best suit your own character and your own skill set and then not just that but then which ones are are being used more which ones are being used less how do i make sure that i'm staying up to date how does someone navigate that journey when they're starting out now?
1: Yeah, so in terms of, um, I guess, picking technologies and, and making the right choices, um, there's, as I mentioned, there's one or two really good resources around, I think it's called the Web Developer Roadmap and the DevOps Roadmap, um, both on GitHub, just like really good flowcharts of the, the foundational skills that you can build up, and it's like a multi-year pathway. Um, that's got then a number of links that you can then dig into and sort of really start getting into the depth of different things. Um, And I personally would always lean towards um, becoming really good with techniques and understanding the standards that things are based upon. Um, So, you know, different encoding formats or, you know, different protocols for communication, et cetera. Um, The libraries that are on top of that, that people tend to get drawn to, especially early in your career, They're just tools in the toolbox. You know, they're the, you want to learn how to use them, but the things that you really want to understand are the underpinnings, the principles, the practices, um, and the standards-based pieces. In terms of then, because in terms of what you enjoy, the vendors tend to manifest as the actual libraries. You know, you enjoy working with one tool or another. And I guess it's working through and recognising why did you particularly enjoy working with that thing? Because um, it's probably nothing to do with the branding or it might be the documentation for the tool that you've used that made it easy to work with. Um, but there's probably something that clicked well. So, so if I think about a concrete example, for me, I've really enjoyed working with uh, both Kubernetes and Kafka in the past. Um, Kubernetes in particular, I guess, recognizing what um, what I enjoyed with it it solved a lot of problems for me, you know, problems I had experienced earlier on in my career and it just made whole classes of problems disappear, but it was quite complex as well. So I really quite enjoyed the complexity of it and getting to know the, the ins and outs and the depth in a number of different directions. Uh, with something like Kafka, it was some of the design decisions that have been made. So in terms of things like sequential writes off the disk and, and sort of seeing uh, seeing performance through that, It's like, okay, that's a nice, neat decision. I like that. I'm enjoying working with it and the things that sit on top of it.
0: How much of choosing a technology is a genuinely intrinsic love of that technology versus what someone just thinks is cool?
1: I think they're sort of the same thing. Like, I love a technology and I think it's cooler. They're both emotional-based decisions. Um, And it's almost a – I think that's a – Something that comes into play if I'm looking for a new job, uh, or it's something that comes into play whilst I'm working with something, it definitely shouldn't be part of the decision-making process for I'm about to introduce this new technology into the company that I work for. Um, so if we if we're making a decision about tech in mind gym right now, it would be um, what are the criteria, what are the success criteria for introducing this new tech? Basically, what problem are we trying to solve? Um, Like a broad sweep of the options that are out there, maybe looking at the features that exist and um, and how easy are they to work with, and then prototyping some of the shortlist. And there's no, but yeah, you need. If anything, there will be a little bit of emotion in there, but it's recognizing the emotion as you go through that process. Uh, and been able to abstract it away from the decision-making.
0: Oh, thanks so much for taking up the time, man. I've really loved it. Um, I think that the thing, and I'm so grateful that um, you're kind enough to do the second one too, is that um, you just have a very, like, no-bullshit way of talking about it, which is really refreshing. Um, It's just very, very real, and there's no... It's like earlier when you said, like, I'm not going to use this business word. And I think the business word you used wasn't even a business word. (laughs) So it's like, it's so nice. Yeah, thanks. Sorry, thank you. Just the a
1: compliment. Yeah.
0: The Best Work podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work. Email me at BennettCord.co You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content, and more at core.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.